Hello, this is Jim Robinson from the New Jersey Prague House, and you're listening to Progzilla. everybody for episode two of tabletop genesis we will be talking today about the album nursery crime and i'm mike lord i am not your host for this podcast but i'm one of the one of the people who talks first so let's uh, call it that let's go around the table and introduce ourselves because we are actually the full complement of tabletop genesis the today. classic lineup the classic lineup for the lineup. first of the classic lineup of nursery crime so let's do it well, hello everyone. My name is Eli, Elisa, and uh, I, I've been a Genesis fan since probably 85, and I look forward to talking all things Genesis with Excellent. you all. Uh, yeah, my name is Simon, and if you haven't heard me before, then you're going to wish you hadn't. <laughs> uh, and yeah, really, I came to the table, I think, roughly around about the same time as, as Mike, around about 82. Yeah, early 82. 80s. <laughs> Hello, I'm Stacey Godfrey. been a fan of Genesis since 86, got into the band through Phil Collins. This is Tom Roche, and... You know, as I like to say, I was late on the bandwagon, which some people say late on the bandwagon, but I was late. I uh, got into them in 86, also like Stabby, through Invisible Touch, and just went backward through their catalog, and here we are today. Excellent. So we are talking about nursery crime today. Uh, so Simon, would you like to read a bit of the Wikipedia page about Can I be the Wikipedia crime? wizard? You are the Wikipedian today. Okay, fair enough. Uh, right. This is from the, um, the wiki page. Nursery Crime is the third album, studio album by Genesis and was recorded and released in 1971. It is the band's first album with drummer Phil Collins and guitarist Steve Hackett, who respectively replaced John Mayhew and Anthony Phillips in 1970 and 1971. The five-member lineup: Peter Gabriel, Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford, Collins and Hackett would remain consistent until the band's 1976 album, A Trick of the Tell, when Phil Collins replaced Peter Gabriel is lead vocalist following Gabriel's departure from the band. Uh, Nursery Crime is also the band's shortest studio album. I didn't mm, know this. That's interesting. Uh, 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 and the only one to run at under 40 minutes. Hmm, okay. Fascinating. I did not know that. Right. I didn't so, know that either. Yeah, that's, I've never actually really timed it out. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Of course you did. <laughs> uh, I think that the... It's interesting because, as Wikipedia mentioned, this is the first album with Steve and Phil on it. Uh, we're on first name basis with everybody in the band, of course. So, uh, we can say Banks, uh, we can say uh, Collins and Hackett if we need to, but we'll say Steve and Phil for now. Um, this is a mix. This is kind of the first of the classic lineup. Do you guys remember when you first heard this album? I, I believe I heard it. I think the first was Invisible Touch, as said. The second was the Genesis album. And then I think I went to a store called The Wiz, <laughs> which is not even around anymore. Right. Don't look for it. It's not there, it's anymore. Not there anymore. Don't look for it. It's not there anymore. And they had a sale on cassettes. And so I bought three. I think I bought Nursery Crime, Wind and Wuthering, and Trick of the Tail. Okay. And I just was getting into it. I When I listened to them, I wasn't aware that there were different singers singing on the different albums. Right. And I think I, I, I don't remember actually my thoughts on listening to the first time, but I have a special connection because this album came out about three months after I was born, <laughs> 1971. And uh, I remember when it came out. It was in a diorama <laughs> hanging yeah, over your crib, yeah, right? <laughs> I think I was pooping my pants because I was, I was, I was, I was so excited nice. this came out. That, and I thought to myself, 15 years from now, I will finally hear this album. There you go. And go to their concerts. Yeah. So, Ellie, do you remember when you first heard this album specifically? Um, not the whole album, but songs like obviously the musical box, um, because uh, I I got into Genesis through my older siblings. You grew up in Argentina. You should be clear about, right? Yes, I'm from Argentina. I grew up in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Simon, do you remember your uh, first? Yeah, game? I do actually. I I got um 
uh, it was the second Genesis album I ever purchased. And I remember very specifically, I bought it in the, just around about the Christmas of, I think it was maybe 83. And it was really only a, more or less a year later that I started listening to it in, in, in earnest. Stacy, how about you? Do you remember your first? Um, I remember, like I mentioned earlier, I came into Genesis through Invisible Touch. Um, so I was like eight years old, nine years old at the time. That was it. I grew up and then when I was 16, a friend of mine said, you know, he's like, well, what music are you into? I said, oh, I like this band Genesis. Do you have their two albums? <laughs> and he, he, Todd, he, I hope he's listening. He, he kind of laughed at me and I, he just, just gave me the Genesis of history and said, okay, here you go. This is a very special album for me because it's the first of their early period. This is after I discovered okay. this guy, Peter Gabriel, was also in the band. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot That's of, great. like, nostalgia uh, wrapped up in this cool. album. For me, my... I must have bought this after Seconds Out. Okay. Because I knew the musical box from being segued on that album from Lamb Lies Down mm-hmm. into Seconds Out when yeah. it was the encore on the Wind and Wuthering tour. And... For me, I remember being like, I, got, I want the album with that musical box song on it because I want to hear the rest of it. I know that's the closing section, but what's the rest of the song mm-hmm. like? So that was, that was again, you know, probably early on in my Genesis fandom, but not it wasn't the earliest piece. So okay. with that, why don't we do our track-by-track track rundown as I talked a little bit about the musical box. Oh, let's. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the musical box. gets me about the musical box is and it took a long long time for me to realize is there's absolutely no bass guitar until much later in the song and i think it was one of and the even ones... then it may just be bass pedals i don't yeah, know if it's yeah, a bass guitar well, yeah. i think this is one of the the tracks and and i'd like to rewind just a few seconds sure. about the lineup and, oh, and yeah, why sure. some of the tracks sound the way that they hmm. sound at this point i think a good proportion of the uh, of the tracks on nursery crime had been written prior to the to the recording and indeed some of them prior to the arrival of I think Steve Hackett. Steve and Phil to an extent because with it's mainly with uh, Musical Box and Fountain of Samalsis. The other pieces I think were written probably you know maybe bits of them before that but Mm -hmm. I think those are the two they always talk about. Is this the one of the tracks that Ann Phillips actually had had a hand in writing yes. the musical box? There's, in the musical box, there's actually on Ant's, one of his archive albums, there's an instrumental called F-sharp that is basically the the intro to the musical box. Oh, right. Okay. That he and Mike Rutherford wrote. Because yeah. so, they used to write in pairs, yes, didn't they? Yes, it was that like, is true. Um, Rutherford and, and Ant. Yeah, and um, Banks and Dan. Bang, yeah, that's it, yeah. And this was one of the pieces that... Before they started recording the album, they had been playing live for a while yes. as a four-piece before Steve had joined. And what right. they had, Tony was playing the guitar parts on the keyboard. Indeed, because he was running it through a distortion Right, box, and they it? thought that, well, maybe we'll just carry on as a four-piece, which I think would have been a big mistake because Steve right. Hackett brought so much to the band. Right. Mm-hmm. And the parts that he actually brought into Musical Box that had been played by Tony are just, you they're indelibly in your mind right. as Steve Hackett's as guitar parts. musical as guitar parts. Although Tony's little solos when they're playing off against each other in that middle part, his keyboard has a very guitar sound yeah. to it. Yeah. Which until honestly until I saw some live tapes of it, uh, and with Steve's Genesis Revisited uh, band, 
I was like, oh yeah, that's that's the that's the keyboard making that sound. The um, musical box, I think for me, it's it's one of those tracks that you know if you're going to start off an album with it, it's the right track to start off that album yeah, with because right. yeah. it yeah. is a statement of. We talked about this, you know, in the past with some of the songs. This is a statement of purpose, and it really for me puts it out there as saying, here's what this band is about in a ten minute track. You know, kind of what you talked about. Yes, album yours is no disgrace. That was a statement of purpose for them. This is a track that's saying, you know, yes, we had the the one album that sold six hundred copies. Trespass was kind of the direction we wanted to go in. Now here's a song that's really where we're at. It's one of those things which I think is a, is a bridge between the the, the folkier uh, yeah. days of, uh, of Trespass and. Uh, into the uh, effectively the, the more rock orientated world and, and it's, it's a fabulous segue it's almost like you could imagine that being the last track if you will on trespass leading in that could be a, almost like a double album in, in, in that respect sure yeah I, I think this is uh this song showcases their ability to go from real quiet kind of folky sound to the lar- the larger uh louder rock uh, sound yeah. and the way they go back and forth on it in the track, I think it's it's the best they've ever done. It's kind of like it, it kind of was reminiscent of how their live shows were, where they would start off acoustic oh, yeah, for a yeah. while, yeah. then as it got towards the end, they'd build with the louder, heavier pieces, and they were able to encapsulate that all in one track, where they start off quiet, and they come on to you know the heavy end. And I always liked how the beginning, like with Genesis fans who really take this music to heart, that opening chord, mm-hmm. that's to Genesis like, the roundabout opening chord is to Yes fans. Like mm. you, oh, yeah, you yeah. hear that and yeah. it brings back memories and you know what that's like. Play the entire as, song in your head. Yeah, as soon that. as that right. goes on, you hear that. You can do that. You can. You're off on your head doing that song. You don't need yeah. to hear the rest of it, although right. you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, just um, what can I add? No, I think that like the musical box uh, is dif- many songs in one song because it has mm-hmm, yeah. so many atmospheres and moments. Maybe this is going back to my teenage years, but I can proudly say that I imagine myself on stage shouting out, now, 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 and probably did it a few times in my bedroom that way, too. So anyone else? Yeah, I was going to say, and if you didn't, I know you're lying, (laughs) because that's what you did for this song. And it was great. it's, It's one of these songs that, you know, it's. it just works for me on all levels, except I will say that whenever I hear that the instrumental section right before the closing section that, you know, is on uh, seconds out that way. I always think it goes on just one repetition too much. For me, it's okay, like in my yeah. head, I always kind of segue into that end one one time before it goes. And I just think, okay, I didn't need to hear that four times in a row. Three times would have been great. But my, that's my only real critique. See, I was hoping song. they would play that five times. I was just saying. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why we I fight about to, this. I want to have one more time. That's why we fight I'm about gonna it. I'm going to make that your new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to answer it on the fifth time. Yes. yes. So. It won't let you pick up right. <laughs> until it plays five times. And that's the thing about uh, this song kind of represents what I love about progressive music is that I, I give credit to anyone who can write a great song and I'm not putting down songs that are verse, verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus, you know. But the fact that this song must have come together organically through, okay, let's do this here and let's move here. Right. It's not like someone came in right away and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play soft guitars. I'm going to say a nursery rhyme and I'm going to shout now 25 times. Everyone got it? Everyone good with that? <laughs> right. It wasn't like, the, it was like just, it developed over time and the way you listen to it because they had played it live mm-hmm. before the recording, it sounds like they're right. playing this together live right it sounds like a live recording from the end and it's one of those songs that i've heard a thousand times and when i was just re-listening to it this week like i still get chills mm-hmm. listening yes. to this song yes and especially when they, that end secret when the, oh, when the right. end comes and the hair is on i'm like i've heard this song a thousand times and right. it still gives me that feeling and the band they were in their early 20s when they yeah. did Northern prime that the most amazing thing they were yeah. really young yeah. yeah that's something i think that we'll return to constantly with these early albums and even with the albums from the 80s too that when they were in their 30s and the solo albums too that you know these guys had a had a passion early on for this music 
and were able to really, you know, put it out there. All right, so let's, with that, move on to Four Absent Friends. Sunday at six when they closed both the gates A weirdo pair still sitting there Wonder if they're late for church and it's cold So they fasten their coats and cross their grass Four Apps and Friends, from what I understand, uh, Steve's talked about this in interviews. This, it's a song that he and Phil wrote together, and Phil actually sings it. How many of us knew on the first listen of this nope. album that that was Phil singing? No, I certainly it. didn't. No. Yeah. I didn't and, know if it was Phil or Peter. I was so but that's, clueless. that's one of yeah. the great things. Their voices were almost seamless together. Right. You know, that's, I, I, you know, they blended well together, and, and you can hear that especially live they were exchanging melody lines mm-hmm. and, and it was it was very very seamless sure yeah and that's something that you know with Stephen phil bringing this in just as a nice quiet little song you know a little of english observation yeah i i my first memory of listening to this song was uh oh this is really nice and i did know it was phil collins because okay. i know phil collins <laughs> I'm like you three because you're better than us and yeah. i am better than you um, no, I'm not. But <laughs> I, I remember I, I listened to a song and I go, where the hell's my dictionary? Because what's a roundabout? Mm-hmm. What's a pram? Right. So this was, I mean, this is English. my overall comment on, one of my overall comments on the album itself. Like, this was such an English album. You know, I'm a teenager in America and this was very confusing. Well, I can understand uh, that. <laughs> There's a whole load of social commentary that goes yeah. on. I mean, one of the things that I love about this song is it, it harkens back a little bit. It's that Eleanor Rigby-esque confessional about everyday dreary lives, that kitchen sink drama, which the, the British seemed to be fascinated with during the 50s and 60s about just normal everyday life. And I think this is a... I think it was a, a story about... Is it two spinsters or something? I think so, Two yes. widows. Two right, widows, right. that's right, yeah. I'm not entirely sure how experienced a songwriter Steve Hackett was at that point in it's his life. probably pretty early on. I mean, again, he's 21 at the time, mm. so it's it's pretty early in his writing career no matter what, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a, a song which I think was more important than I think people give it credit for, is that people think, oh, okay, well, it's just a little throwaway song it kind of like is a little buffer between the end of the musical box and the start of hogweed but in terms of the band dynamic giving steve and phil the new guys mm-hmm. a chance to have their own track right there on the album right. i mean they second could have track said, on the album second track on the album they could yeah. have said you know you guys are the new guys want to give it a few albums we know what we're doing here you know <laughs> yeah. just, they said all right go ahead we'll guys write a song we'll put it on the album and and they did that and i, I think that probably helped the dynamic of we're invited the new guys they're part of us they're part of the group now and i think that helped a lot going forward and i I agree with stacy that like when i listen to them like pram now they're just making up words (laughs) what's a pram it's all nonsense yeah and and i think for my part with the words you know having kind of broken my teeth on yes to begin with where the words didn't necessarily mean a lot i didn't pay attention with genesis i didn't really pay attention to the words right off the bat it was more the sound and the feel of things. And, you know, earlier on with Four Absent Friends, it was always, oh, yeah, nice little song, nice a little break between these two much more intense songs. Yeah, you need that breather between right. musical yeah. pops and uh, right. Return of the Giant Hogweed. Yeah, but the perfect. end of, and I, I could say this about a lot of Genesis uh, tracks, the end of Four Absent Friends, then the, the space and then the beginning of Hogweed is just gorgeous. I love that space between the two songs. It's perfectly timed. It's perfectly timed. It's the the right beginning, middle, end notes there. Well, that's something I think Tony talked about in interviews a lot about, that both with live sets and I think it's generalizable to albums too, is that they would really think a lot about the flow yeah. of mm-hmm. what an album was. And I think Stacy said in the past that, you know, Phil was kind of the guy who would think about that a lot. Right. And I wonder even on, on these earlier albums how they came up with the flow of the albums, mm-hmm. with the running order and everything. I mean, I've, I would think that, you know, it seems obvious that Musical Box should be first, 
Smallsta should be last, you know, but they're dealing with album sides at that point too. So what what's the great middle there? And I bet that there were some arguments about that. And as time this went was on. probably the first album. I think Trespass didn't they just that was the order they played it live. Probably like that was, it was their probably set like list. Their set. And then from Genesis to Revelation, that yeah. was kind of piecemeal, and that was yeah. Jonathan. That was King. a story. In theory, yeah. So. so this was maybe you know I don't know. I think I think this is a great order. Yeah. I mean you couldn't really. Yeah. It's also yeah. Um, this album is also one of the. Uh, I think it is the first album which they they recorded at Trident Studios, okay. which is a studio that they would return to for for most of the seventies. They didn't record Foxtrot there, okay. and they didn't record uh, the Land the there. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know for sure that they used it for Trick of the Tail, mm-hmm. uh, Wind and Wuthering, and, and I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to check on that. But I, I think the last thing that they did there at Trident was, and then there were three. Sure. And that was the last one they did there. No, the tri- I think that was recorded overseas in Holland, wasn't it? It might conceivably have been yeah. mixed at Trident. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there might have been Because I know that, that they mixed um, yeah. seconds out at Trident sure, as well. Sure, okay. Any more thoughts about Four Absent Friends? No. sometimes we just have to wrap it up that way so so let's move on to return of the giant hogweed Turn of the Giant Hardweed is a crazy song. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> it's madness. I, th- I think maybe I'm biased, but I think it's not. It's one of the best, if not the best, songs about hogweeds. <laughs> I mean, you won't find a better song about hogweeds. I, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I think that you know, it's one of these songs that. When a friend of mine gave me a bunch of Genesis boots from the early days, and and people would go crazy for Giant Hogweed, and I was kind of like, I never quite got it. Again, it was until seeing Steve's band perform it, and I was like, oh, this is a really good live song. Like, I could see that if, you know, if you were in the audience back in the day, this is what you'd shout for. This was what they closed with. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a powerful ending. It's a goofy lyric, but it's fun, and it's... It has a bit of danger to it at times. Cool music. It's a fantastic song. Yeah. It's also one of the ones which um, features very heavily uh, Tony Banks trying to be the guitarist. Yes, as well. Yeah. And it, you can hear it if you if you if you pick them out. You can hear what Tony Banks is doing. And I have to say, Steve, perfectly complimenting. Right. I mean, they were really at that point. You know. When you consider they'd only just met, the mm-hmm. way that they weaved their melody lines in between one another was right. was pretty damn good. Yeah, it wasn't until I saw the musical box perform this live um, on their, I think it was their Foxtrot show, uh, that I knew who was doing what. Like yeah. I just assumed it was either all Steve or all Tony, right. and it was it was just they were creating this really unique, very creative uh, sound. Um, and I love the energy of it too, as you were saying. It's kind of to me, this was the knife part two. Right. This is kind of has that same kind of knife yeah. uh, crowd jumping um, feel to it, which always made me wonder why they never played this live, as far as I was aware. Like they maybe they played it on the Nursery Crime tour, maybe Foxtrot, but like it didn't. After go... Foxtrot tour, it didn't. It kind of disappeared. Yeah, because it has so much energy. Like yeah, that's yeah. a good. Like I thought that'd be a great. Cr- crowd-pleasing kind of right. song, Even as part of a medley, even bits as part of a medley yeah, in later years, too. I don't know. Incidentally, uh, for everybody out there, if you actually want to see a contemporary version of, of this song played um, pretty damn well, at, check out Transatlantic playing it with Steve Hackett at the, uh, I think it's HRH, or it might have been a high-voltage gig a few years back with uh, Mike Portnoy on drums hmm. um, and... Rhonda Stoltz, um, Peter Wavis, and uh, Neil Morse. 
I think it's one of those songs that I think you do have to hear live and is mm -hmm. much better live. It's, it's a song that under crime that I love the intro. Uh, when it gets into the turn and run, like, eh. It's on, a little slower. The, it's a little slower. Yeah. And I'm kind of not into it until then it picks up at the end and for the last four or five minutes, then you're off you know, oh, yeah, onto the races. Yeah. Then I love it. But for that first part, it, it doesn't grab me as much as, I think some people love it start to finish, but I'm kind of like, Give me the first 30 seconds, then I'll check back with you in the last five minutes. Yeah. So I kind of, I mean, I kind of like check out on a little bit during the, you know, the talk about the hogweeds, and then when it really starts <laughs> off, then I'm back with it. And I think this, I think uh, Hackett used tapping on the beginning of this, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I always love it when I hear uh, people say, oh my God, look what Eddie Van Halen's doing. He's tapping. I'm like, yeah. don't waste my time. <laughs> Steve Hackett's been doing this since Van Halen was in high school. So. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Uh, so yeah, this song is, I really like it. it. It wasn't the first, one of the first I heard from Genesis. I, I got to, to, to hear the song late 80s or 90s, I don't know. But I like the different tempos and, you know, different atmospheres. And uh, I think it's a fun song. I like it from beginning to end. There's when Phil comes in at the start, when they're doing that riff at the beginning, and it's just one of those moments again that I'm like, this is just why having Phil as the drummer is so important to this band because to find something to play to this this kind of strange, you know, melodic thing going on with guitar slash keyboards, and then to jump into this very be able to transition to this very heavy part. Not a lot of drummers could do that or to f would figure out a way to do it. All credit to John Mayhew on, on Trespass, but I don't think he would have found a way to make this work that flowed as well as what Phil did. But of course, you know, I, I anyone will suffer in comparison to Phil Collins. Right. I think they, they compose songs, they record them in records, and then mm -hmm. they realize playing them live is... It's not that it's, it's difficult for them because they... They compose them, but right. that maybe that's why they didn't play them so often live. Right. Yeah, because it's yeah. like tricky, you know. I, think, I, th I think that that retooling of, of the band lineup was was is so evident when you listen to Trespass, you listen right. to uh, uh, to Nursery Crime, just exactly how much of a gear that was changed between right. those two albums. I mean, I just think that really the arrival of Phil Collins and, and Steve Hackett just took them to another level, and I. I get the feeling that they knew it themselves even at right. this point. Well, I think it's, you look at Anthony Phillips, and I love Anthony Phillips' solo career, oh, yeah. and I have a lot of his albums, And mm -hmm. but he was much more on kind of the more gentle and melodic side of yeah. things. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how he would have fit in with a band that was looking to also have that side, but also have this aggressive, you know, loud guitar, drums yeah. pounding aspect to it, which... Which Ant never really seemed to pursue in his own solo career much. Maybe bits of it here and there, but certainly not to the extent Genesis. You did. can hear Ant Anthony Phillips' um, influence throughout their sound in the seventies, sure. especially when it comes to the twelve-string right. uh, arpeggios and mm -hmm. stuff. Well, the uh, it's funny how the the reissues you figure will bring stuff to the forefront that may not have made it to the forefront in the original releases. But even so, it wasn't until I saw the musical box mm -hmm. do the song live that I knew that Gabriel shouted giant hogweed lives at the end of the song right even in the reissue I don't hear that it's buried yeah, it's so very low. faint yeah. that there and when I, you know to listen to it I think on the original mix again you could even barely hear it there on the remix it's a little bit louder but not much but not much yeah um, so yeah I think that those are the the little details that again live would kind of come to life a bit more mm -hmm. and that is you know when everything is pounding at the end of the song and you know it's the big organ sound the guitars wailing away drums are going crazy uh bass is going you know nuts with whatever it needs to go nuts with so i think it's it's a great live song yeah it's definitely the the most fun for me to watch on that belgian tv oh uh, yeah special right i mean phil's like looks like animal from the muppets <laughs> yeah, they're all, they look like and that. they're like they're, they're rocking out but in yeah. their reserved english <laughs> I always thought that Peter Gabriel just looked like you know like how pigeons the neck goes forward and back. <laughs> Sorry about that, but that's exactly how no, that's And I think he's like, probably I'm say the pick same up thing. my mic stand and throw it at you, but let me put it gently down so I don't hurt anybody, you know. You're very polite. Love it. But my god, what an ending to talk oh, yeah. side really. Exactly. <laughs> that's that makes you want to turn on the next side. And so the next side brings us to Seven Stones. Thank you. 
just want to say that I particularly don't like this song very much. It doesn't sound like Genesis at all, because for Absent Friends or Harlequin, that has a Genesis vibe. But Seven, seven Stones? Yeah. Seven Stones? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I agree with you on that. I think it does sound like um, uh, very much... Uh, it, it strikes me as that something you get off, some, uh, especially the melody line off from Genesis to Revelation. It's got a, I don't know, a slightly sunnier... Mm -hmm. atmosphere to it if that if i was going to point to one track on the album that that i felt didn't belong it's probably seven stones i, I think i'm in between i'm being torn by two sides because i know there's a side that i used to be on which is what you guys are on where like eh, it doesn't do anything for me and then i know that some people love this song and like they would swear by it and I'm starting to see their point, but I'm still kind of like confused, and I, I don't know what to do. And I, I think I need help with seven stones. There's a number you can call, please. Yeah, 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 seven, 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 stone, stone, stone. So, so Stacy, I think you come down on the love side. Yeah. So this is my favorite track on Nursery Crime. Wow. Okay. Um, so why is it your favorite track? Uh, it's it, yes. Explain. Yes. <laughs> we need a report on our desk yes. in the morning. Um, I can't really put it into words. It's not like there's one uh, moment, there's not one person playing on it, it's not Gabriel's vocals, it's just everything comes together. I love the, the, the feel of it, I love the atmosphere it creates. I mean, the last, I think it's like, I was looking at it today, so I could, I think it was like 45 seconds or 50 seconds from, uh, from the end of it. I just get goosebumps and I well up sometimes. I just think oh, it's, it oh. is, I know. I know. This, this segment has been you. brought to you by Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> For all your seven stones needs. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, but that's the great thing about this music it, it, is that it touches you in different, it touches, touches different people in different ways. It touches so. my lady stones. <laughs> that's, right, right, right. that's right. All seven of them. All <laughs> seven of my lady stones. No, and I, I, you know, I can hear what, you know, I can appreciate what you guys are saying um, about, you know, maybe it doesn't sound very, very Genesis. I mean, this sounds very Tony Banks. I mean, yes, if anything, yeah. the big chords. Yes. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure he wrote the lyrics also. Yes. So. It sounds very much something uh, he would write. So it's devoid of emotion. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that, it's that contained emotion. Yes. I think that's it what it is. double glazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so that's it. This is my favorite track on the album. Mm. I only know one other person who says his favorite. It's Dave Myers from the Musical Box, really? um, who actually, you know, played all of Tony's music. Music. And he's been, uh, he has several albums of his own out, covering Genesis stuff and his own. And uh, so, yeah, we're the, I think the only two it, in the world. It does. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, I, I mean, I was listening to this album very recently, and the track, I will say that the end of the song is much stronger than the start of the song. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly, I mean, the way that it, that it, it fades out with that sort of like almost or, or orchestral Sure. Um, sort of like um, uh, what do you call it? Diminuendo. I don't know what the word is. But... Yeah. With Seven Stones, for me, I just—it's um, one of those songs that was middle of the ground. I feel a bit like Tom that I'm, you know, mm -hmm. like a lukewarm moose right now. <laughs> that I haven't. Um... What a great image. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I—I I think I used to dislike it, and I do think that there's certain music that. Maybe, again, this is written by 21-year-olds, but mm -hmm. as you get older, you have a different appreciation for certain things. Mm -hmm. And it comes out in a way that's like, oh, I can. this is a bit more wistful, and I think I can appreciate songs like this more now than I could when I was in my teenage years. Granted, again, you know, it was almost a teenager who wrote this song, mm -hmm. but, right. you know, I think, again, that speaks to what's really compelling about Genesis for those of us who are fans is that they're able to capture some of these moods in all of their music that's, you know, both universal but also changes over time for your own uh, exposure to it. So that's me for Seven Stones. I feel like I'm I'm a bit in transition about it right now. Give I'll me make another you come around. You all right, yeah. <laughs> Give me another year. You're going to be on my side. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I think for what I can, I can pinpoint why I'm not a huge fan is, is I think the lyrics just don't... They seem a little bit awkward to me, and I think that was always my sticking point. Um, but now that I've listened to it a, a bunch, and you know, especially the last couple minutes, mm -hmm. I really love. And, and 
if one thing, I don't skip it anymore. So if I'm listening to the sure, album, there are there I listen to it. In the plus it. column there, yeah. <laughs> I think for me too, it has to do with the lyrics. It says yeah. old man too, too much, too, too, too many times. And I and I picture the old man from the musical box, which is pretty pretty scary to me. So yeah. that's why maybe I don't like the song. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of old man action in there. <laughs> like, like it's so depressing. Like you were saying, they're 21. Like, what are these lyrics? Right. But they're very influenced by these <laughs> by these mythical stories that they were reading, by science fiction in different ways. And, and again, maybe they were a bit, I don't want to say old before their time, but I'll say in the more complimentary way, ahead of their time. Well, and also I um, yeah. think back when, you know, last year when we were all 21 and yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you, you want it when you're younger, you want to be older yeah, you're and when pre- you're older, you want to be younger. Right. So I think maybe they were trying to yeah. like sound older or right. more, so you mature. know, mature. And, and right. something that they could all do both in their, in with Genesis and with solo careers. I mean, thinking about songs like Through These Walls by Phil, um, mm-hmm. you know, songs like Family Snapshot from Peter that they could project themselves into other people people's Mm -hmm. you know mindset and i think that you know this is again maybe an example of you know tony's lyrics where he was projecting himself into this you know older observational type of song it's a very british way of looking at things because it's 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 a way of of describing how you feel without actually admitting how you feel (laughs) hi this is theo travis and you're listening to progzilla radio that we will jump into Harold the Barrel. Now I know you've been waiting to hear my take on this. <laughs> I have been. I've been pa- patient. But, but I think this was the first time you actually hear the sense of humor that the guys had in the band. You didn't hear any of this kind of joking around, kind of weird take on things and yeah. for, from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Trespass is not a funny act. You didn't hear the Trespass. <laughs> and so finally you have Harold the Barrel where Phil and uh, Peter are singing along this crazy song about this guy who's on a ledge oh. and, and they're just having a fun time singing with it. I think it's Peter's song, but Phil sings on it. It's almost like they're singing in tandem. Yeah. Phil's yeah. not even backup. Like, you wouldn't know who's yeah. singing. It's co-lead vocals that way. And I think, I think that was part of Phil's coming on board where he brought them down a few notches, saying, don't take yourself so seriously. Let's have some fun with this. Well, actually, in some ways, I would say that, that a lot of this sort of sense of humour is, is quintessentially English. If you if you remember, uh, I think it's The Small Faces with Ogden Nuts Gone Flake. It's a, it's a very English thing about sort of like... Go blimey, Governor, what's happening over there? Wouldn't you add them an evening? <laughs> this song is a favourite of mine. I really do like this. And it's it's not necessarily a favourite because everything in the song really works for me. It's a favourite because of those last few bars oh, yeah. of Take a Running Jump. Yes. I can't think of a single other band that's ever done something like that. It's cinematic. Just the way it ends, yeah. kind of yeah. the slowly with you the You can just chords. imagine the slow motion jump as he leaps yeah. off. It really evokes that exactly. quality to it. Sure. When Ellie and I saw Peter Gabriel do the orchestral shows at Hammersmith, somebody shouted out Harold the Barrel. Uh, and, it, and it did get, I think, even kind of a, a laugh and a chuckle from Peter on stage between songs because it's just such a song that wouldn't be in that orchestral mode that he was going it's for. Just that whole but idea. maybe it could have been. Yeah. But it's just that whole idea of, all right then. Yeah, <laughs> let's whip that out uh, with the <laughs> get the orchestra up here. They can do this. No, it's it's a song that you know. Again, I think being an American teenager in the '80s, it was you know some of the humor might have been slightly lost on me, but I also just really appreciated that there was this obviously fast-paced, crazy song. Not a comedy number, but a song that had humor to it. In the middle of all this stuff about, you know, hard weeds and for absent friends and heavy stuff with the musical box. And I think coming after Seven Stones, mm-hmm. it's a nice kind of like, oh, we've had this kind of heavy, kind of more slower paced, serious song. And let's go right into... And it's like, oh, we're, we're in a different world here now. I think it was Peter Gabriel 
testing the waters for Battle, Battle of Epping Forest, saying, how many lyrics can I put in here without <laughs> yeah. the other members of the band, you know, right. shutting me down. I, yes. see, I see your point, because there's lots of different characters that yeah, come different into. characters, yeah. fast lyrics, right. shoved I in. Like, you can, like that. You have to, like, yeah. pay attention to what they're saying, like, in battle. You, when I got this album on, on vinyl when I first bought it, and then on CD afterwards in, in the U.S. in the 80s, early 90s, the lyrics were not part of the package. Really? Correct. Oh, no. This was not like the albums now, this nice little gatefold. You no, know, it was a single sleeve, right? Yeah, it was a right? single sleeve. So, yeah, the same thing. you know, looking at the lyrics now, you get these almost like a little cheat sheet of Man <laughs> on the Council, Lord Mayor, British Public. Harold, Mr. Plod. What? I don't think Mr. Plod is named. Uh, well, at all. let me just say, He's Mr. Plod. Mr. Plod is actually a policeman. The particular That's... for policemen. Okay, they're called the Plod. So glad we have an Englishman here. <laughs> <laughs> Translate this to. Yeah. We've got sixty-seven-year-old Mrs. Barrel in what? here, so it's. See, that's a woman called Mrs. Barrel who's sixty-seven. Years old. <laughs> uh, that, that, that does clarify that. I would not have known. I thought right. that was yeah, a hobby. I should have brought my, my because I bought the lyrics in English and in Spanish oh. because me being a Spanish speaker, right. I was dying to know okay what this is about because I was 12, 13 I knew a little bit of English but so I was like oh this is interesting to so, know. so this song helped you learn English is what yeah, you're saying that, that too you know, can I ask a question English, sort of like being sort of, sort of like as, as uh, English is, is not your first language although I have to say you speak it better than I, um, what I do um, <laughs> even when I'm having a gin tonic so. but, <laughs> but the fact I mean what were you getting from 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 the song without fully knowing what the lyrics was it literally just the tune was it the quality of the voices I mean uh, I think it was the tunes obviously the music and the musicality of the words even though mm -hmm. I didn't know what they meant because they are pretty abstract you know some songs even though you're English speakers you understand what they are saying but they are just fantasy or crazy mm -hmm. stories sure so well even the Americans may not understand the English speakers so, all the time hey, listen, so, even yeah. us British guys don't necessarily <laughs> know what's going on in Mr. Gabriel's mind at right. one time so, so yeah, for me it was just obviously the music, and you know, uh, I, I read the lyrics in Spanish, but I didn't, they didn't make sense because the translation is not that accurate. So. No, I've got a question for you: is exactly how inaccurate was it? Were there, there parts where you were going? <laughs> I should have read the book. But he's holding a broom, and now there's a hat on his head. Yes, <laughs> and then Sabra's ready. is like la cena está lista. It's like literal. Some, some, yeah, some, some. If words translated into Spanish, they don't make sense. Right. But, you know. Well, let's uh, let's move on to Harlequin. Came the night, the mist dissolved the trees, and in the broken light, colors fly, fading by. I love this track. See, I think it's beautiful. I really like this I track think as it's, well. It's just one of those songs that, again, listening to it without even paying attention to the words, it sets the mood for me of just this very wistful, relaxed, you know, summertime evening is what this song speaks mm. to me of. Who wrote this one? This is Hackett. Oh, no, this is no, 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 Rutherford wrote this. This was a Rutherford really? yeah. was Rutherford? I just read it in his yeah. book. He yeah. just told me this week when I read it. <laughs> <laughs> through the book, of course. This was, yeah. this was oh, Rutherford yeah. with I think the vocals are are Phil, Peter, and Tony. So it's yeah. really a three harmony. Right. There. Wow. So that's why the vocals sound very different from yeah. the other tracks. Do you know, I was going to say, one of the things that I, I read very recently, and I totally agree, is when Phil first heard the band, he thought they sounded like Crosby, Stills and Nash. Right. And this is a very, I always yeah. associate this with Guinevere from the uh, the very first okay. Crosby, Stills and Nash album. It's in that kind of ballpark, right. of that very delicate vocal with a sure. sort of like gentle backing. In the right. Music. I think for me, the vocals are the weakest part. Um, the music is great, but the sound of the vocals, um, I've always felt like maybe a female singer would have been better. Hmm. I think uh, we were listening to it last week, okay, Simon and I, and I thought the monkeys would do an fantastic oh, yeah, yeah. version of this track. It would be more in their range. Okay. I don't know if it's out of want, like Peter's range or something, sure. but it just, that's the one thing that kind of grates on me. Mm. It's to me would be a great instrumental. Yeah, right. yeah, actually, the first time I heard this song, I thought it was Simon and Garfunkel. 
Oh, really? Or yeah. something like that. I, right. like, I, I, would, I would have never thought that it was Genesis because it's so different, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's, again, this was like cassettes, not real, not, not even... Right. They were recordings so sure. vinyls mm-hmm. or whatever. So I didn't know exactly which song it was, but I heard it and I was like, oh, but there are Genesis songs in these cassettes, so... This must this be should this. be Genesis, but it sounds like something else. Right. I was going to say it must have been like a huge puzzle that you had to put together yeah. at, a, at a later mm. stage. Sort of like you must have yeah. known all this material. Oh, it was from that album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. With the lyrics, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the it's reason why why I thought it was Hackett was because Tony has said that he's not really fond of that track, so I assumed it was a Hackett. <laughs> <laughs> hey, harsh but fair. Right. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think it's, it's well, you know, Tony is very honest about what he thinks of this music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that always kind of comes off. And, he's, and he does, does the same thing about, I know that he was very critical of Seven Stones, you know, saying that he thought the lyrics weren't up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of being, you know, embarrassing at some point looking back at it. But, you know, that's, I think any of us looking back at things when we were in our 20s would yeah, be like, yeah. oof, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> So now we get to the end of the album, The Fountain of Samalsis. Samalsis, that's how I pronounce it. I just saw it. Salami? Yeah, I was Fountain of Salami. That's salami. Mm, I've always thought that, the Fountain of Salami. (laughs) Samalsis, Samalsis. I think the way I've heard them say it is the Fountain of Salamasis. Really? Or Salamasis. I've heard that too. But maybe that was other fans I've talked to. Yeah, Salamasis is not right. I just added another letter. New poll for the website. Yes. (laughs) How do you pronounce Fountain? there's, There's an easy way to remember it. The emphasis is on Somasis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the emphasis is on Somasis. Exactly. In Spanish, we say Salamansis. Oh, there you go. I like that. Well, I'm running with that. Yeah, right. exactly. Great song. Oh, yeah. Fantastic yeah. in the album. Epic at the end. I think uh, uh, this is the very first song. I, I think I read that this is the very first song they ever used the Mellotron on. Could be. With that beginning uh, washes of it during the organ part mm. sure I think they, I mean there are other nursery crime songs that use the Mellotron yeah but I think this is the first one they used they actually recorded they with started, the Mellotron yeah. yeah I mean yeah you're right sequencing that they wrote yeah or whatever yeah. Mm. but um, I, I I have a, a love-hate relationship with this I absolutely adore the music I mean that opening that swell that mm-hmm. comes up I mean I just I it just for me it's it's the most orchestral moment I think that they 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 had up to that point and then unfortunately for me it's kind of ruined by a by a vocalist who's still trying to find his range sure yeah. Gable is I don't know Gable's a young man at that point and I I find that the the, the melody line is a little bit shaky in places sure. I can hear that because that's he complained later on that, you know, the band would not kind of change the key to sh- of something they wrote yeah. right. to fit his vocal, <laughs> which, you know, made sense. And at the time, I didn't quite, as a non-musician, I was like, well, what does it matter? You just sing it. Um, <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, I kind of get that it has to be in your range and that some things, right. you could be a great singer, but if it's not in your key... Yeah. It can be really tough. There's a great example of that, exactly how difficult a key it is to sing in. If you listen to the 
um, English version of Three Sides Live mm-hmm. and Phil Collins yeah. doing the very first, I think he sings, I think it's the second or third line and his voice breaks. Yeah. 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 And you go, within the... <laughs> 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 okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so it is, it's not, that's not an easy right. melody to sing. And, and Phil is probably technically a better singer than Phil yeah, was I and if he's so, having yeah. trouble with yeah. it too. Yeah. I wonder how this song would have been if it was only instrumental. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I suppose one of the things you can do. I mean, did they ever do a five point one mix of this? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's on nursery. On yeah. So you can, like, you can probably pull dis- the vocal. Dis- pull the vocal. Disconnect the speaker. And <laughs> right. I think that's where you need to have kind of whether something doing that melody line, whether it's a guitar, mm. piano, organ, some sort of like it's it's something you know. It's hard to make an instrumental just by pulling the vocal out. Yeah. It gives you the instrumental track, but then. During the verses, you realize, oh, maybe not a lot is going on here. Mm-hmm. So to have something kind of carrying that melody, uh, the vocal melody through the song, there's parts of it that are great that, you know, the band flies through the middle yeah. section of this. Um, I think it might have been either this track or Hogweed that I have a, a interview disc with Phil and Tony from right before Invisible Touch came out, done by an Australian company. It was put out on one of these kind of interview picture discs that you would get back in the day. It was a great interview, an hour long. I have it on CD now. But he talks about, you know, the, you know, take 26 of either Hodweed or or this, where Phil's just like, I am tired. And I've been doing this all day. And everybody else is trying to get their part done. And my part was great on take two or three. And now I'm I'm doing this. But this track, even even if it is uh, take 28 for him, He's the band flies on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. fantastic. One of their more evocative pieces, right? And, yeah. uh, and, a, and an unusual subject matter about you know, <laughs> you know. a hermaphroditic uh, plant, not a plant. The, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the I, I am conflating these two songs here. But, you know, I'm, glad, I'm glad the album has the cliff notes, which again, the CD and album yeah, that I had did I'm not have. So much. Aphrodite, a flower containing both male and female organs, a person or animal of both sexes. The child Hermaphroditus was the son of Hermes and Aphrodite, the result of a secret love affair. For this reason, he was entrusted to the nymphs of the isolated Mount Ida, etc., etc. So, again, you know... Why did you this in Spanish? <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. I just right. like the music. I, yeah. I like this band. This is crazy. So. I look at this the same way I look at Hogweed. I love the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's a stretch that comes after that, which I can give or take, you know... And then I come back to the end, and it, then it has me from there. But yeah. like, there's a little. I've given. Yeah, there's a couple. Of, well, that's that's the one part which I love because when you go to hear the song, like when Hackett plays it in his right. live shows, and mm-hmm. I hate to say it, well, the first thing it's my bathroom song at Hackett shows. <laughs> 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 but I'm quick enough where I come back for the good part of the song. <laughs> right, right. And, I, and I love an audience. Great bladder control. <laughs> yeah. I love an audience of middle-aged to older men who are trying to sing this part, and you guys can probably it's it's instinctive. Both had given everything they had. <laughs> it's a reflex. You, you cannot not yeah. do it. Yeah. But to hear an audience of 40, 50 year old men trying to sing that. Right. This is very sad. <laughs> but well, it, uh, it does contain what I think is one of Hackett's best guitar yeah. solos at the end. I mean, it's an that amazing. Is, yeah, it's the one thing I was going to say. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> Stacey, hand it over to Stacey oh, yeah. now. No, no, it's, no, no take, it, take, it, take, it, take it to the bridge. This this song has my favorite Hackett solo. Really? This yeah. is the favorite Hackett yeah, solo? Favorite at Hackett the end? Solo. Yes, more than fourth or fifth. Sure. Yeah, more than anything yeah. else. Um, I think this is, um, I said before in the Abacab episode that uh, that album was Rutherford's album. To mm. me, this is Hackett's album. Really? Okay. Um, a little bit more, and Collins too to some extent because he's just playing like a crazy person. But really, um, his playing on this album is my favorite. I think he's his most aggressive. Sure. Um, he's most 
blew my mind. I mean, this I, I heard the song new again, and uh, just made me appreciate that solo and what he contributed to this song and the whole album even more. So fantastic! That gets us to the end of the album. So, from all this, let's see what our own favorite song on the album is, and then we'll talk about a poll that uh, Tom oh, yeah. had. Yeah. Okay. So, what's Ellie? What's your favorite song on? Well, the Hogwit song, for some reason. Very good. <laughs> you don't need a reason. No. Just because. Just it's because. Your there you go. Simon? Uh, I think Musical Box. I, I think it's really down to the fact that it's, for me personally, I think it's the best arranged track on the album. I sure. think it's the one that has the best build. The sections really flow into one another incredibly well. I, I want to say uh, it's got Tony's huge organ. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in his, uh, We're allowed to say that. I was like you. The very first time I actually uh, properly heard this was um, I was in college mm-hmm. and a friend of mine was playing Seconds Out and, and they played the end section of uh, uh, the musical box on that mm-hmm. and I was chilled up and down my yeah. spine. And the great thing is, is that when I actually went and heard the studio album, I still got those chills. Yeah. If, if you mention like the top 10 tracks that Genesis ever created, this has got to be sure. in it. Definitely. Stacy. Oh. We all know it's Seven Stones. No, no complaints yeah, on my no, side fine, from that. It's fine. I love the rest of the album. I don't want to think yeah. like because I like Seven Stones so much that uh, <laughs> I think the rest of it's crap. But musical um, box is crap. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great album beginning to end. Um, I mean, one thing maybe I would change is I would replace uh, Har- uh, Happy the Man. With Harle- oh. or replace Harlequin with Happy the Man. Okay. But other than that, I mean, it's solid all the way through. But Seven Stones, it just gets me right in the balls, lady balls. Ah, there you go. He's got the seven lady ball vote there. <laughs> seven lady <laughs> ball vote. <laughs> right. Mr. Tom. No surprise, I'd have to say Musical Box, because it represents everything I love about progressive rock. And it just, to start off this album, which Nursery Comments now, it had so much going for it at the time. They got a new drummer. They got a new guitarist. They got a new Mellotron. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the one thing that this opening track of this album really speaks to, it's one word, is confidence. It's like they were kind of getting their footing on the first album and then with Trespass, but with this one, it's just because they had played it live too before. Like, you just, they know what they're doing and they're confident and they just, they just race through this track and it's got beautiful moments and, and, and hard moments and, and that last moment. Uh, the now now section which just as we said still brings chills down my neck and uh, even just to sound really dorky is when you look at the the record sleeve I mean just seeing those five names together oh yeah Banks Gabriel Collins Hackett Rutherford just seeing those five names together it gives you a sense of like wow just what those people put together and this was the start of it That that's why this track is. it was already perfect yeah right Mm -hmm. there you go my favorite I you know I, I really want to say Musical Box, but I also really want to say Har- Harlequin also. Uh, so uh, because it's, Musical Box has two votes, I'm going to go with <laughs> Harlequin. So Harlequin is beautiful to me, and it just, you know, it, as I said when I talked about it, it just gives that mode of, you know, a wistful summer evening, and it's just works for me i can relate to that yeah, yeah. so all so tom the we had on our website tabletopgenesis.com a poll about this so this is called this section of the podcast will be called tom shows you his poll tom shows you his poll all right so i want to go, uh, thank everyone who uh looked at my poll this week it was uh <laughs> Maybe you voted Sorry, on your poll. It. Maybe it's not ours, it's yours. It's just my, yeah. it's my poll, but it's probably no surprise that the number one favorite track was Musical Box. All right. And almost a two-to-one vote over the second favorite. So it, it, the second place got half the votes that the first place got. So, so run down the order. Let's so Musical Box was a favorite with about 40% of the vote. That was pretty close. The second favorite was Fountain of Somasis. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then coming in after that was Hogweed. All right. Which a real, really dorky note was that the three longest songs on this album have the as in their title. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Train Spotter. <laughs> uh, and after that, it's kind of a tie between For Absent Friends and Seven Stones. 
And really? the last votes were Harold the Barrel and Harlequin. Really? Yeah. I didn't think it's Harlequin and Harold the Barrel would be down that far. I thought that Seven Stones and Four Absent Friends would be. I just want to say, I didn't. I only voted once. <laughs> <laughs> I only voted Holy. once. Right. Well, that's gets us to the end of this episode. Any final thoughts on the album to wrap things up? I think that uh, this album has more to do with Trespass than it does with Foxtrot. I think Foxtrot, for me personally, signified a new chapter in their career. But I think this is the sign-off of that early period of Genesis. Sure. I just, um, I love the sheer creativity on this album. Um, I think there's their albums from this period as being more creative, less clever. And then when they get to it's more the 80s and 90s, it's more clever, a little less creative. Hmm. I mean, there's both obviously apparent throughout their entire catalog. But this album to me really epitomizes um, how outside the box they're thinking. You could tell that, I mean, you mentioned before, Simon, that you know, the, the King Crimson influence, which I don't really hear. And not that I'm that familiar with Crimson's catalog. But to me, this is so unique. They sounds, it sounds, it just stands up on its own. Nothing else sounds like this out there. I, I challenge anybody to, to point out an album that sounds like this, or even a song. I accept really... that challenge. Oh! <laughs> challenge accepted. But yeah, I just love it. And I just like to say, you know, if I had a nickel, for every time a guy said to me, away from you cold-blooded woman, your thirst is not mine, <laughs> I would be a rich woman. So feel your pain, Gabriel. I know it. I think it's the album which most closely ties the cover to the music inside. Like I think oh, it's the one that matches yeah. the music really? inside. So kind of like when you look at the cover, it evokes that feeling that you get when you listen to this album mm -hmm. start to finish more than any other album cover did before it or after it. So it's the one where it's the complete package where other albums I might like better and their covers are okay. But this is the one where like, okay, you see this odd, very English, very colorful, bright, but violent and evil cover. Yeah. And that's what you get on the inside. So yeah, I think scary. that's, it's the complete package for me. That's one word I would use to describe this album, violent. It's a very <laughs> violent <laughs> album. Yeah, yeah. I, my opinion is more or less the same as you guys. Uh, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing. Yeah, the album cover reflects, you know, mm -hmm. the... The visuals of the lyrics, you know, if you read the lyrics and hear the words, it's very visual. You know, you can picture all the characters going on mm -hmm. and the stories. And I like that, you know, they the order, the sequence of the songs is like intense, soft, intense, mm -hmm. soft, intense, soft. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It goes back to that mm -hmm. whole business that an album lives and dies on its pacing. Right. In some ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Especially pacing, in, yeah. in the pre-CD days. Um, for me, if I had a nickel... For every time somebody said they were immune to my herbicidal battering, yeah. that's I would be. I'd have at least a nickel or two there for that. Yeah. You know, this album for me was, you know, it was. It's funny. It was never one of the main sequence Genesis albums for me when I was getting into the band. Right. It was The Lamb. It was Selling England. It was Trick to the Tail. It was the albums from the eighties that really kind of you know drew me into the band, and this was almost. Almost like Trespass, kind of like a bonus album for me. That it was had at the time two good tracks that I liked: Musical Box, Fountain, and that was kind of it. But over time, again, you know, there's a lot of this album that has grown on me. I think I probably liked Harlequin back in the day when I was a teenager, but I wouldn't. Even to myself, I was like, oh, maybe I can't admit that I like those cool, softer songs too. Also. <laughs> So I think for me, this is an album that has grown as it's gone forward. I might even rate it higher than Foxtrot um, for me presently, um, mainly because I think Foxtrot has, you know, some great songs on it, but also some that are, you know, in a different, that just don't work for me. But that's that's for another episode. <laughs> so I think that's where I'm at with uh, Nursery Crime. Anybody know why the, uh, why crime is spelled with a Y? No. Tell us. I don't. I, I wish I knew. I was like, maybe maybe one of our listeners will know. It's a typo. It could be. <laughs> it is a Genesis album. They're known for that. Yeah, um, and so, if you happen to know the actual reason why Nursery Crime has a Y, uh, why Crime has a is spelled with a Y, you can contact us in many different places. We have a Twitter account, which is at Genesis Tabletop. 
We have our Facebook page, which you can look us up under Tabletop Genesis. We have a website, which is tabletopgenesis.com. And we also have an email account, which you can write to us at genesistabletop at gmail.com. And if you want to write to us, we'll write back. If you want to like us on Facebook, if you want to follow us on Twitter, if you want to stalk us in person, please don't do that. <laughs> but I think that if you want to contact us, we'd love to hear feedback. We're, again, we're just starting out with this. With this, If you have any ideas for future shows that are not strictly album-themed, uh, if you want at, want to kind of say, if you want to recommend which solo album we should get into first, that might be interesting to hear. We are happy to hear feedback. So thank you very much from all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Gracias. <laughs> and, and, and have a great day wherever you are.